Hello, Heartfelt Leaders. Before starting today's episode, I wanted to announce that the waitlist for my book, The Birth Challenge, is officially open. It will be in the show notes. Be sure to check it out and make sure to register because if you do, you will get a copy of my first chapter. You can begin reading it and falling in love with it. Hello, welcome to Practicing Life Podcast with me, your host, Ashley Pitzer. I am a powerful ascension coach, a dual certified hypnotist, and a best-selling fantasy author, as well as a psychic oracle card reader and a channeler. Every day, I work with clients who are seeking to have a better quality of life. I assist seekers to eliminate undesirable past programming, to stop their self-sabotaging behavior and remove limited thinking. I teach you to honor yourself and to trust your inner knowing. I bring you back to your heart and I bridge you between this reality and the spiritual realm. If you are ready to discover who you are and your greatest potential, then stay tuned or reach out to me for one-on-one coaching. Now, Let's align your mind, body, and spirit and celebrate you because you matter. Hello, this is Ashley Pitzer, your practicing life host. And today we are going to talk about, are you scared to leave your marriage? At one point, I know I was. And so I'm going to talk about my experience, some of the things that I learned But I want to start off right now by saying that who I was during that time of my life isn't who I am now. And also, I've gained a lot of experience specifically with how the brain works as well as becoming a life coach. So I have different tools available to me today. So a lot of what I'm talking to you about is kind of hindsight, self-reflections, things that I have learned. If you are in a marriage that you're scared to leave, this episode is going to be sharing my personal experiences, but your experiences are unique to you. And whatever you may be going through, this this podcast is not meant to be counsel. It is not meant to be um, a guide to what you need to do because your situation is unique to you. Now, Saying that, there's probably going to be nuggets of information in this podcast that can seriously help you, but I am not the person who is equipped to help you if you are in an abusive, like physically abusive relationship. I'm not qualified for that. I don't train in that. What I do train in is taking responsibility, stepping in your personal power, being responsible, right? So in my marriage, there was a little bit of sexual sexual abuse going on. There was financial abuse. There was emotional abuse going on. There was never physical abuse. So whatever I have experienced in the past may not pertain to you and your situation. And I just want to stress the importance that as much as I'm sharing with you what I went through, the change in the way that I think now, I would encourage you to seek the right people to be able to help you. All right, so that's my disclaimer out there. Then my other disclaimer before we even get started, because these things are so sensitive when you're talking about them. All right, and I 
I intend to be able to help you and to guide you. And it is never my intention to create harm in somebody's life. It's, that is not me. All right. So I really want to be very clear that what I shared to you today is also just my story. So if I paint a picture of my husband, the way he was back then and the way I was back then, it is not who we are today. We have both grown and we have both evolved and we're different people now. And I would say that that's possible for you too. <laughs> As a life coach in me, that's always possible for you if you're willing to do the work. All right. So I want to also just say that I love my husband and I'm so proud of him. So we just celebrated our 20 year anniversary and it hasn't been all rainbows and butterflies the entire time. And most marriages that are together for a really long time um, don't necessarily have points where they're always 100% like perfect, like where everything is going so smoothly for them. There are a number of relationships that are based on um, commonality, like friendship, where there's little passion in their marriage. Okay. And so I'm just going to tell you right now for the record that my marriage was one of those ones that are more passionate. And when you have passionate, you also have ups and downs. Okay. All right. So disclaimers out of the way. Let's talk about this. In my marriage, who I started off with in the marriage and who my husband started off with in the marriage changed. One of the very huge turning points with me, one of the things I talk a lot about in other episodes is just the fact that um, when we got married to be married in the Christian church, um, which is something that my husband wanted, I had to um, whatever, convert, adopt to his religion. And, and from that point on, I became like in, into the church where I wasn't really before that. So in fact, um, in college, they required me to take a, a religion class. And I remember you could pick anybody in the, in the, the, the Bible. And I, you know, whatever, I was like, I almost said, I almost chose Hitler. No, I didn't chose him. I chose Caesar. But, um, you know, you can choose anybody you want and still like, all right, we're not even going to go there. Just cut that out of that side story, right? I, the whole point was, was coming into the marriage. I was a very spirited person, spiritual. I was very strong willed and determined and ambitious and just bright and full of life. And then, you know, entering the marriage, converted to be of my husband's religion I lived that way for a couple of years. In our sixth year of marriage, we had our first kid. And then all of a sudden, there's the switch. And it was a switch on both my husband and I, where all of a sudden we're like, oh my gosh, like we want to raise our kids right. Okay. Because in that mindset, I had this mindset that there was a right and a wrong way to do things. And the right way to do things was apparently how my husband grew up. And that was really heavily into the church, right? And I just dove into it full force, 100%. And so, I mean, I, I've studied the Bible because I, I do everything like 100%. So anyway, I mean, I took Bible study fellowship classes, Sunday school. I uh, learned how to break down um, Bible verses, how to study, break them apart so that I could turn around and teach them back. And so anyway, like I really dove into it and I dove into all of the principles and I followed it so 
wholeheartedly. In fact, it created a lot of marriage problems in within my relationship because I was like, you're not the character of God, you know? And so I was like this judgmental, hypocritical person, right? Like worse than my husband at times. And I wasn't that way all the time, but there are definitely times when I would speak up and I would say something like that. So this is kind of the premises of our, our, our marriage, right? So we started off totally madly in love, dated for five plus years before we got married, were married for several years, had kids. All of a sudden, religion became the number one thing in our life because we wanted to make sure that we put God first. We raised our kids, you know, the way that we were instructed to do so. We just dove into all of these principles and started doing exactly what other people in the church do. I feel, this is just my perspective, that that was probably one of the biggest turning points in our marriage. Because as I tried to become what I thought was a good person, according to Christian faith, and I tried to become the submissive wife, as I became, as I fooled myself into being more Christ-like and making sure that I turn the cheek and that I act in love all of the time, right? There were certain parts of my spirit and my personality that were dimming over time, very slowly and very minutely, all right? And this was affecting my marriage because my husband from, from birth, he had this relationship with religion where he, he took some things seriously, he didn't take other things seriously, right? So he grew up with this, he had already accommodated, I didn't. So there was a major shift for me in my personality. Well, I would also tell you that we ended up having two kids that are on the spectrum, one of which my second child was born with a rare genetic disorder and, and a lot of needs, putting a lot of strain. Now, for those of you who don't have a special needs kid and may not know these kind of things, like 70% of people who have a, a type of special needs kid that has, like I say special needs, you can call them neurodiverse, you can call whatever you feel comfortable with labeling, right? I had an atypical kid, however you want to label it. I'm not here to put people in a box or anything like that. I happen to like the label special needs because I think my kid is so freaking special, like special as an amazing magnificent, extraordinary, like that type of special. That's what I think about when I, when I say special needs, but everybody has their own perception, right? So when, when couples have a type of kid that has all of these needs that are constantly going to the hospital, the financial strain, the physical caregiving strain often causes 70% or more of these marriages to end in divorce. So keep that in mind. There is this strain in our marriage. Well, when I became this Christian faith adopted person and I tried to live out what, you know, the Bible and my specific church or um, it wasn't just my church because I was listening. I was like, I listened to nothing but Christian. I like surrounded myself with it. Right. So I was listening to the Bop radio network and um, Dr. James Dobson, and I was I was so heavily into it. I surrounded myself with all of this. So there's lots of influences going on, right? But I had this perception of what it looked like. And there was a number of Bible verses that could confirm that interpretation, right? Because that's how it is. The point of the story is that in my marriage, I started to adopt this. I'm I'm the peacemaker. I'm the loving person. I'm the nurturer. I wasn't a nurturer. 
if I'm going to be honest with you, I didn't even want to have kids in the beginning. In the beginning, I did not want to have kids. I was not interested. I was never the nurturing type. I never wanted to be around. Like I didn't want to babysit. I didn't want to work with kids. That was not me. I was businesswoman. I was business driven. I, you know, in a lot of ways, like my personality was kind of like, hey, I'm one of the guys. Like I hung out with guys. I with girls. Like, and then all of a sudden I'm in this Christian faith and I'm reverting myself to being like, hmm, who can I get along with in the Christian faith that's a woman? Because, you know, women and men are really separated in the church. Like they have their place and you have your place, right? These are my experiences. I adopted this role of being a peacemaker. I adopted this role of being submissive. I adopted so many things. I can't even tell you. And this is where things, in my opinion, hindsight wise, started to go sideways for my marriage because all of a sudden I was losing my personal power and I wasn't advocating for myself. And I was really just expecting as I was filling this Christian role that my husband would be following this male Christian role that has been identified for us as a society and a culture, right? They're very clearly defined ways. And granted, there are multiple versions of the Bible and there's multiple different, there's like 4,000 religions out there. So everybody has their own interpretation. So take this and mold it to what you're experiencing. So my husband didn't necessarily do that. What I will tell you, I'm going to break in the story and kind of go a different direction, right? What I will tell you is what ended up happening in my marriage is the more, the more that I started being submissive and just not allowing myself to advocate for my needs. And I'm just like, I, I can't even tell you. That's how it feels. I can't even tell you because I just was in a place where my husband had learned through his own experiences as a child and watching his parents that this is what it looks like to be a husband. This is what it looks like to be a father. And he was mimicking it. Well, I grew up in an abusive household. My father was physically abusive. I also personally believe that he may have a slight learning disability, even though that may not be true. He hasn't been tested. It's not been verified. But clearly, as someone who has two kids on the autism spectrum and somebody who's gone to oh hundreds of seminars and education to be able to help my kids, I can see it in my dad. I don't have a relationship with my dad now, but I adored him when I was a child, despite the fact that he was abusive and he was violent, extremely violent, because he would not be able to emotionally control his feelings when he was angry. It was a skill that he did not develop. It wasn't that he was a bad person. I'm going to say this about my husband. My husband, even though he was never physically abusive, he had learned at a point in his life that you can use your anger to control people, whether he was conscious of it or subconscious of it. I'm not going to tell you his story. This isn't, you know, he can tell you his story one day, right? All he was doing is emulating what he used to see. So I ended up being in a relationship where I was controlled. And even if people came up to me and talked to me about, hey, I think you might be in a controlling relationship, I would always counter to them. If I'm being controlled, it's because I'm choosing to be controlled, right? I'm allowing him to behave this way. 
I knew this. I knew this on one level and not on another. So I, it's hard for me to explain this. Like one year, let me give you an example of the stuff that I was tolerating, right? One year for Christmas, it's not one year, it happened all the time. But let's take Christmas, right? I'm hanging out with my family and my husband decides he's done. He would come up to me and he would whisper in my ear, it is time to leave. Firm, aggressive voice, it is time to leave, letting me know exactly where he stands. And I was expected to drop what I was doing, stop talking to whoever one I was talking to, grab all of the kids' stuff, get everything I needed out of that house, and make polite, you know, goodbyes and leave. Like within five to ten minutes. Like this was my husband's expectation. And if I didn't, then I could expect an argument in the car. I could expect silence treatment. I could expect to be, you know, weeks of not talking, a cold shouldering, right? That's emotional abuse. And so even if he didn't have to get angry and angry, explosive energy, he could do these things to kind of control me. And I would tolerate this. So I would just immediately start packing up my stuff, tell everybody, I'm so sorry, I have to leave and go, right? And this is the way it kind of operated. And I was, you know, as somebody who has empathy, like as in I, I can feel other people's emotions, I could feel his emotions. And for the longest time, I have learned growing up, as many people have, that you're responsible for other people's emotions. I'm in a different place now. I know I'm not responsible for other people's emotions. I know I'm not responsible for him. But I'm going to talk to you for a moment as, as the person I am today, as somebody who studies how the brain works, right? I have two different certifications in subconscious reprogramming, how your brain works, how your brain functions. Being a hypnotist very much studies how your brain works, right? So as a person who understands how your brain works and as a person who has gone through experiences, has been coached personally, and then has become a coach, I'm going to tell you that a lot of things that happen to you are just repeating your past because that's what you know. And your brain likes to be in the predictable. It likes to be known. Known is safe to your brain, even if it isn't safe to you in other ways. So you can consciously understand that, like I consciously understood, hey, my husband has had some controlling tendencies, but my brain, my subconscious part of my brain, the unconscious part of your brain, the one that is on autopilot and dictates 95% of your behaviors and your actions, that part of my brain was like, this is what's known. This is what's familiar. As someone who grew up with an abusive father who used his anger as well to control our behaviors and use fear to dominate, right? This was known to me. This was familiar to me. And hence, you know, I tolerated it and kept staying in this relationship. There's, this could be a really, really long uh, podcast, and I'm going to make this as short and concise as I possibly can, but I'm just painting some pictures for you so that you can kind of gather the scope of what I am talking about. I was in a marriage who over time, the more I became accommodating to his controlling behaviors, the more he increased those. So we were both increasing our behaviors. 
I was increasing my peacemaking. I was increasing accepting and tolerating. I was increasing my ability to find peace within myself. I was practicing a lot of yoga. Okay, I was practicing a lot of yoga to find inner calm and inner peace and to release any negativity that I felt and to get centered again and feel right in the world. And then I would turn around and have another circumstance with my husband and I go right back to the mat and I'd work it out, right? On top of having a special needs kid, right? There's a lot going on in my life. But I came to a point where I was really miserable in the marriage and I started actually praying, praying that there would be some way of getting out of this marriage where I wouldn't violate my new beliefs as a Christian woman, right? And there's literally like two beliefs, you know, in the Bible. Now there's churches and religions that um, allow other exceptions, okay? All interpretations, right? There's all these people dictating what you can and can't do in, in the religion faith, right? But still, the person that I was back then wanted to obey these laws. I wanted to obey them and I wanted to be a good person and I wanted to be in heaven and I didn't want to do anything that would disrupt that. This is one of the reasons why I talk so much. And please, if you are in Christian faith and you want to keep that faith, I will honor whatever is right for you. But this is one of the things I would tell you is that my personal experience around religion is there's a lot of control and a lot of fear. And God is love. I did not want to violate anything that was told to me through the church. So I was praying that like something would happen that would allow me to leave this marriage and be okay and still right with God. This was my perception back then. And the thing about it is, is I actually had that. And one of the, the vacations that we went, I um, accidentally picked up my husband's phone while he was, he was so distracted with this phone and I couldn't understand it because here we are on vacation and he's just drawled to his phone, drawled to his phone, drawled to his phone. And so I picked up his phone and then lo and behold, he was having um, text with other women, right? And so I was like, oh, so I realized that possibly he wasn't as faithful as I thought he was. And I had an opportunity to leave and I talked to him about leaving, right? But then he promised that he's going to do X, Y, and Z behaviors and change. Every time something came up like this in our marriage where I was like, oh, I might be able to leave. There would be a, a hope, a promise that he would change and he would do better. So I'm going to bring in the word narcissist. That is such a word in today's society. Everybody's like a narcissist or you're not a narcissist. Okay. Narcissism. Whatever you may be familiar with with this word, I'm going to describe it as this. A person who lacks the ability to take responsibility of their own actions. Who thinks that the world centers around them and they are not at fault for anything and they lack empathy. So if they cause harm to another person, it means nothing to them. Now, you can be a true narcissist. That's of that definition, which you see a lot of the serial killers are, but not everybody is that. You can also people, you, you can see people who have narcissistic tendencies that they were raised, you know, in a culture where these type of behaviors may be brought up or normal or along that lines. This is what they know and they continue to do this. 
They don't necessarily question it as wrong because it's how they were brought up, right? There's different variances. There's a spectrum, if you will, of this kind of behavior. Well, it came to a point in my life where people started coming up to me, not only to say, hey, you know, your husband may be a little bit controlling, but now I started to get people approaching me and saying like, I think you may be married to a narcissist. And I was like, no, no way. My husband loves me so much. In fact, everywhere I went, for people who didn't know me, know me, know me, like really intimately and closely, they'd be like, wow, your husband loves you so much. I wish I had a husband that paid that much attention to me. Wow, you know, like you guys have such a dynamic relationship. You blah, blah, blah. Like I was always getting people... In fact, every single time I got together with my husband's family, they were constantly reminding me how lucky I am to be with my husband who loves me so much. I got to a point, honestly, I got to a point where I felt like sick every time they came up and reminded me of this, you know, interpretation they had because on the inside, I was miserable in this relationship. And I had gotten to the point that I had perceived, you know, my husband as somebody that I didn't really care for. I didn't even really like in some aspects is I felt like I hated him because I didn't like my circumstances that I was living in. But somebody had come up to me and asked me to read the book. Why does he do that? By Lundy Brandpop. And I resisted reading this book for a really long time. Nope, that's my kid coming home. I did not want to read this book. I did not believe in this. It took a lot of convincing to do it. But then when I read this book, I was like, oh my gosh, this is it. This is so true. I am married to a narcissist. And then on top of that, right after reading this book, things at home had escalated so much. So I had mentioned in the beginning of the episode that I was financially abused and emotionally abused. A lot of what my husband did was emotional abuse. It's a lot of belittling, you know, a lot of talking to you in certain ways. But there was also this financial aspect because we had agreed, the both of us, when we first had kids, that we were going to do the Dave Ramsey program, which is based on scarcity. And I'll do a podcast on that one day. But basically, you don't spend any money. <laughs> and it, we, we, we followed it for years. So by the time that my kid was 12, 13 years old, we had been on this program for 12 or 13 years. We were debt free. All of these things were for, you know, in the good, but we were acting as if money was in scarcity all of the time. Well, I was a stay at home mom taking care of our younger child who needed a lot of things. There was speech therapy, occupational therapy. There was constant doctor appointments, constant surgeries. This was my life. And even though every time I worked, something would happen, like my child would have a major seizure and I would have to be in the hospital for like two weeks or something like that. And working was challenging for me at that time. Right. But the point is, there was this financial control over me because my husband's scarcity was so intense. If I went to, let's say I went to Walmart and I bought 10 items. When I came home, he would look through my items and tell me to return like six things. And he would tell me, we don't need those things. Take them back. And everything was a fight with him with money. Every time I went to spend money, I even wrote to, I first learned about financial abuse from Susie Orman. 
when I even wrote to her, and I was like, man, I think I'm financially abused. One of the things that my husband would joke around about all the time is, yeah, when my wife wants to go on a date, I take her to McDonald's and I allow her to choose from the Happy Meal. And everybody would laugh, ha, 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 ha. And I would be like, that's like my reality. He's not joking. He's telling the truth and he's making a joke out of it. And I freaking don't like fast food. But, you know, like that's where he was. Like he was just in this mindset. Like even if food had gone bad, you don't throw away food so you eat spoiled food. Like this was kind of the reality of his mindset. He had a lot of struggles to work through. Again, that is also from his childhood because his parents emulated this type of behavior. So anyway, I was just in a point in my marriage, right, where I wanted to leave and I didn't think I could. And not only that, but I was really scared too. I was scared too. And I'm speaking from my heart here because I know a lot of people are scared and they have all of these stories of why they can't. And I was just like that. I can't leave because I would be sinful. And then that created a lot of shame for me. I can't leave because how am I going to support my kids when I have a special need kid that's constantly, you know, in and out of the hospital and needs all of this care? How am I going to do it all? How am I going to do it by myself? I can't leave my marriage because if I leave, Think about how horrible he's going to treat me, how difficult every exchange is going to be, how much fighting is going to go on. This was what I was going through. There were so many fears that I had, and I really, I let those fears every single time keep me exactly where I was. Even if I was really unhappy, I just thought, well, it's, it's me. I just need to change my mental state. I just need to find peace. I just need to try harder. I just need to accommodate more. I know this makes him angry. Like um, leaving anything out on the kitchen counters made him angry. So I'm like, I just need to school myself better and make sure that before he comes home, everything is off of the counters, that the floors are vacuumed because floors are really particular for him. So I was going through all of these things all day long, like trying to avoid fights and just working myself to a frenzy all the time, making sure that the kids were quiet because that might set him off and he might be angry. And when he got angry, there was a part of me that was like my inner child where my dad was extremely abusive. There was a part of me, like every time that he got angry, I was like, oh my gosh, like the inner child in me who had been abused was like, oh, like I would just freeze up and I'd be like, oh my gosh. Like, so there was a lot of work for me to do. But I read this book and then I was like, oh, maybe I am in a, in a narcissistic like relationship, like a toxic relationship. And then shortly after that, my older Kai, kid, Kai, attempted suicide. He was miserable as well. And I knew he was miserable in the sense that, you know, his father, my husband, expected 100% all the time for him. There was no room for failure. There was no room for mistakes. You know, and there was push, push, push all the time. And then there was those emotionally words that can be so hurtful. Like, you're not doing it good enough. You're lazy. Like, all of these um, identifying words shaping this person. And my kid did not feel worthy. That's the bottom line. He did not feel worthy. And so he got to a point where everything in his life 
was just really challenging for him. And he was overwhelmed. And he had decided that he was going to be a different person. And he didn't feel like he would be accepted, right? And so he just came to the point where he was like, I'm done. Life is over for me, right? And so he had attempted suicide. And I'm really grateful that, you know, we were able to get him help and everything, you know, worked out for us, but it was a really long road. And, I, and I'm not going to go into that story. But the point is, is once I saw this type of behavior, there was something that snapped in me. And they say this a lot. They say that people that are in abusive relationships won't do anything for themselves. But when it comes to their kids, they'll make a difference. All I knew is at that point, I didn't care what religion said. I didn't care what anybody in the world said. My instinct and my protectiveness over my child just stepped in full force. And I was like, no, absolutely done. I'm absolutely done with this marriage. I will not allow you to speak to my kid this way anymore. I will not allow you to speak to me this way anymore. I don't care. You're out of the house. But it wasn't that simple. Because I also at this point had read a book. What does he do? Why does he do that? Right. And so I understood that now that there's like dangers to leaving and I understood exactly what the love bombing is because I have actually felt it and seen it in my own marriage. Every time I would try to pull away, that would trigger my husband's abandonment issues. And then he would come in with love bombing and show up to be the exact person that I would want in that moment. Right. That's so amazing and making these changes and being like so um, just spectacular, right? So there is this constant, like, I'm running away because I, I need to get away from the situation, triggering my husband's abandonment issues. <laughs> and then the, there's this constant pull, pulling and, and tugging back and forth, going back and forth in this relationship. And this is how it was for us. And so anyway, um, I went through, I registered for a toxic relationship program. And I did that with um, Dr. Heidi and, you know, I followed this program. I signed up for one-on-one -on -one coaching and in this program, it talked about, you know, in, in a situation where you're leaving somebody that's a narcissist or has tendencies towards it, you know, they may, you know, if you say that you're leaving and you truly mean it, they may do some things to kind of control, stop, you know, whatever, because in a narcissist mind, right? They they see you as a possession, as owning you. There's expectations there. And so it can get really dangerous if somebody leaves. This is one of the reasons at the very beginning of the podcast, I'm talking about this in the beginning that I may not be your go-to. Don't follow my guide necessarily. Um, but I signed up for this program. I went through the weeks of it. I did all of the stuff and I was doing this all secretively. It was, that was causing me so much stress. In the meantime, my kid continued to do self-harm behavior. It was, there's all of the stuff going on. You know, I had my other kid with all of the seizures, like lots of stress going on in my life. Right. And so I, I took this test. I forget what it's called. Um, it was something like toxic relationship assessment. And in this test, it determined how at risk I was of having a um, situation where my husband could turn a violent if I tried to leave. And it turned out that he was a borderline. And so my coach was like, don't do this. Like, 
blah, blah, blah. So we set up a plan. All of these things, all of these things, all of the people that have tried to leave secretly, I understand. The hiding, the money, the, um, yeah, just the, there's so much that goes into leaving. You know, the getting the documents ready and um, getting a bag ready and having emergency contacts. And at this point, you know, like I said, like I was in a relationship where I wasn't allowed to spend money and my money was tracked and like anytime money was gone, there was an issue, right? So there's all of these things. There's all of these things. And um, with everything going on, I think my husband realized I was trying to pull away. I had talked to him, so there was that. But then I think he could sense other things because I had talked to him before. Anyway, so long story short, I pull the trigger. I tell him I want to leave and I want a divorce. And I tell him to leave the house immediately. And I don't talk to him for like three months, right? Because I'm following this program. I'm following this program. No contact, no text, no anything. It was an interesting time, right? But I was so freaking happy to be outside of his energy. That's all I can tell you. Because he was carrying more and more negative energy as time was going on. He was less and less happy. And the more he controlled things, the less happier he was. So he had came to me and said, you know, let's try to work this out. Now, I had gotten myself 100% prepared to leave. I had the tax documents. I mean, I had everything that you're supposed to do, you know, according to people that have created programs to help people like me leave a relationship. And so I also knew from research and from talking to coaches and doing these programs that like one to 5% of people in these type of relationships, they're where the, the other person with the narcissistic behaviors change. Now, I can tell you from somebody who now studies the brain, I understand that because when you have an identity as such, if you don't change the identity, which is at the core level, it's a lot of inner work, then the, then the behaviors aren't going to change. And what most people do is they try, and this is this is most people on everything. You're trying to lose weight. You're trying to attract money. You're trying to make your business successful. You look at your behaviors and you try to change your behaviors. But that is only a short-term Band-Aid fix. Diets are just short-term Band-Aid fixes. You have to get to the core. What do you really believe? What do you really think? What do you really feel? And that has to change. Not just one time, but every single time. That's what creates an identity change. And that's why the numbers are so low as far as people being able to change that. It's a lot of work and you have to want to. You have to want to. This is the same reason when people come to me for subconscious programming and they want to make a change. If they don't really, really want it, then I'm going to tell them, no, don't, don't waste your money. Don't see me. You have to really want it. You can't just have this external like, oh, well, my wife is going to leave me if I don't do this. It doesn't work that way. That's an external force. That's an expectation. That's a pressure. That is not a heart's desire. And it's not going to work for you. You'll just revert back to what you truly know and want and keep repeating. And if you want something different that you don't have right now, that means you have to constantly Refuse the old behavior 
and cling to the new behavior. And that takes time, that takes consistency, diligence, discipline. Do you see the work here? It's not an easy go. It's not a pill that you take. It's work. Now, my husband said he was willing to do it, but I was in this toxic program and being coached and they're like, no, 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 don't listen to this person. You know, all of these reasons why I was going to counseling appointments. I had two different counselors during this time, all of them telling me to leave. My toxic person telling me to leave. My two counselors telling me to leave. My one counselor even gave me a book to help me, to help me understand how to leave and what goes on here, right? I also had church involved because my husband was crying into the pastors and the pastors were 100% on his side and coming to me and being like, you just need to talk to him. You just, if you would sit down and have a conversation with your husband, we could work this out. And I would tell them, I'm sorry, but you know, the counselor and the, the toxic coach, you know, program I'm in are all telling me not to talk to him. So I had all of these things coming at me in different directions. And this is where I would tell you all, you have to listen to your own inner knowing and what is right for you. I told my husband that we would continue to be separated. And as far as I was concerned, we were still headed towards divorce, that I was still pursuing this. But if he wanted to do the work on his own and come to me, you know, with the work done, then we could consider our relationship again. He decided to do it. So he told me that he would be willing to do that. And he did. I had to sign, I had to find the program. And trust me, there were a number of fights that I'm not even going to go into because he didn't want to spend money. And these programs are not cheap. So there's all of these things. At first, he was like, no, I can figure this out on my own. I can do this on my own. This is what he said all through our marriage every time something came up. So there was all of this stuff going on. Um, but I really held firm because I had the support of coaches. I really held firm to what I wanted. And what I wanted was for my kid to be safe. And so my answer was always no. I'm not putting my kid back into a situation. I'm not going to put myself in this situation. And I told him when I, I told him I wanted a divorce. I told him I felt like I was drowning. And he was asking me to throw him a life preserver when I was the one that needed help. At a certain point, people, you have to do what's right for you. All right. So eventually he signed up for a program. And even in this program, they said the same thing. Most people do not change. They let us know that most people will drop out of this program and not even complete it. So this program went on for three months. And at the end of the program, I think it started off with 12 guys because they keep it at a small number and it's intensive and there's weekly assignments and there's multiple meetings that they have to go to. There's a lot that they have to do. There's things I had to participate in. At the end of the program, it was down to two guys and one guy, it was like his fifth time being in the program, you know? So there's two, my husband and this other guy. And even though my husband completed this program and even though he created a lot of awareness around things, it was not an easy go afterwards either. It took a lot of work. I mean, we're, we're two years post this, a lot of work. But in the meantime, I also changed because I became a certified coach. I became a hypnotist. I learned how the brain works, right? Let me talk to you from a hindsight view. You kind of know my story. Sorry, baby, I'm talking. 
You know my story. You know what I've had to deal with. I understand what you guys are saying when you're scared to leave and there's all of these fear factors around there. And I've already said my disclaimer that every case is unique, so don't take my case as what's best for you. It may not be what's best for you. I don't know your situation. I can't speak for you. I don't know what dangers you're in, and I don't know what difficulties you would face, and this is not for me to make a decision for you. I know that I'm a life coach. I know that I'm going to have people come to me and want to know stuff about this. You're going to have to do your own inner work on this. But here's what I'm going to tell you, because I saw multiple different life coaches during this time. One of the best life coaches was the person who was talking to me about my my responsibility in the situation. So everyone else, counselors, life coaches, were all looking at my husband and painting him as the big bad wolf and it's all his fault. And I went to one life coach. She is kind of a feminist coach. I like feminist stuff, by the way. So I really appreciate the fact that she helped me understand my responsibility in this. Because even if I was advocating in myself, in, in the means of like telling my husband, no, you can't talk to me this way. <laughs> my actions were, I'm going to stay in this marriage and you can keep talking to me this way. It's like when you set a boundary for yourself, you can talk the talk, but if you're not walking the walk, then your boundary isn't that great. And your boundary isn't for the other person. It is for you. And what do I mean by that? I mean, if you're not going to hold the boundary for yourself, then the boundary is pointless. Also, and in my situation, I'm talking about my situation, right? I had to take responsibility that I tolerated this behavior. I had to take responsibility that I gave away all my personal power and I allowed a lot of people to dictate what was right and wrong for me. I allowed the church for years to dictate what was right and wrong for me in my marriage. I allowed people's perception of what is sin to dictate what was right for me. I allowed even conversations like with my mom who would tell me, basically all marriages have their problems, so you're just taking one problem and exchanging it for another, right? I allowed this type of input to keep me where I was. I would tell you now, somebody who's hindsight of this, you see what you want to see. And a lot of times you do. I focused a lot on my husband's negative behaviors towards the end of all of these things. I didn't use my energy correctly. I didn't use my energy in a way that kept me at my strongest and my best. The advice that I would have for you if you are in a similar situation is to really look at your fear. Here's what it boils down to in life. You have a desire. Desires come from spirit, whether you view that as God, universe, source, Jesus, Buddha, Ganda, whoever it is that you're viewing. Desires come from source, spirit. Then you have to decide whether or not you believe this desire. Do you have any evidence of it in your life, right? So I had a desire to leave my husband. I thought that I could be better off without him. For the longest time, I could not believe that that was possible for me. So I never made it past that stage because I just couldn't believe 
So I was always stuck. I was always a victim. I couldn't see any other possibilities. I have to own the fact that I was a victim. I had to own the fact that I could only see what I wanted to see. That I didn't allow myself to explore any other options. You know, the next step in life outside of taking your desire and outside of deciding to believe it is start imagining a different scenario. Allowing yourself to dream of what it would be like to be on a different situation. And then from there, if you really, really want to do it, you'll start taking action. And that's where obstacles are going to come up. So even though I wanted to leave my husband and I made, you know, baby attempts to it, any obstacle came up and I was like, nope, 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 I'm going to stay right here in this marriage. I'm quite comfortable. It's better here. This is known. This is safe. This is what's familiar to my brain. I'm going to stay right here. Right? So there's a lot of work that has to go through this. I get this. I get this. I'm going to say something too. Obstacles are where you grow. Obstacles are what changes you and gives you what it is that the universe needs you to align with so that you can make it possible. I grew a lot. I grew a lot through this experience. Was it easy? No. Could it have been easier? Absolutely. But when you hang on to things and you're super attached to things, that makes it difficult. Being able to surrender and trust is what really helps you. I can't tell you what's right for you. Here's some just perspective as the fact that my husband grew up in a household where I understood his scarcity mindset. I understood when he was a child, his dad lost his job, and there was a time where they were really fending for food and didn't have very much, and it scarred him. And that created a, a very much a scarcity mindset for him, and he's had to work to go through that. I understand that when his parents went to spank him, they would just take the belt and hit right next to him. So he always had the fear of being hit versus being hit, right? So he grew up and he was emulating the concepts that he understood and what was known and familiar to his brain. It wasn't that he was a bad person. Now, for those of you that are in a relationship and you see some things that you don't like and you don't like necessarily things going on, I'm saying this with love and compassion, but I'm also saying this understanding that I understand the real fear. Like when I took that toxic assessment risk about leaving my husband, that there's the fear of physical danger. Okay. But from a different perspective, if you're not, you know, in fear of physical danger, then I would ask you, why are you staying? Why are you tolerating or what can you be responsible for? What can you do differently? And why aren't you changing that? What in your past have you learned? Like I was grew up in an abusive family and this is what was known and familiar to me, right? I can tell you now in my relationship now, my husband would never dream to speak with me to me that way that he was. And I would never tolerate it. And he knows that. He absolutely knows that. Because I kept true to my boundaries with myself people, not with him. I never went to him and controlled him and said, you had to be this way and you had to act this way. I just said, no, I'm going to take myself elsewhere, right? I am done. I will leave it at this. It's probably more information than you needed to know. And I have kids that are wanting my attention. 
I feel for all of you that are out there that are going through this. I know it's difficult. I know it's challenging. I know it's hard to see past your circumstances. I also understand how the brain works and why you stay. You don't have to, though. It is possible. Just like I gave you the example of the, the, you know, the people talking to me about only 1% to 5% change. They don't want to take responsibility of their behavior. This is from the narcissist behavior. You have to flip that around and put it on you. You're also the 1% to 5% of people that aren't changing. Okay? Because you validate each other's stories. Brent was validating the story of me and how my dad treated me when I was a kid. I was validating his story and being just like his mom and staying and putting up with it, right? Like, we validate each other's stories. And when you stop validating each other's stories, that's when there becomes a gap. Boundary work is, is a lot of the work. And the boundaries are with you. What are you going to tolerate? What are you going to do differently? What do you want for yourself? What are you going to claim for yourself? What actions are you going to take? What are you going to be responsible for? That's all boundary stuff. It is not looking to the other person, which I, I will say that I did in some aspects, right? Because I wanted my husband to be, you know, a different person at times, not always, but like I wanted him to control his anger better. That's not for me to say. It's not for me to tell another person how to act and be and behave. It is for me to do what is right for me. That is stepping into your own personal power and being your own authority, which I'm a huge advocate for now. I will never in my life going forward, because this lesson was so deep and so painful, right? I will never going forward allow other people to dictate for me what is right and wrong. Because I know that that power resides in me. And for all of you that are in religion and kind of had that same perception that I did, I'm going to tell you something. You're holy. It may not seem that way because we might have battles and scars that we're carrying around. But the fact is, is God is within you. His spirit resides in you. He's always with you. He's in you. You don't need him. He's in you. You don't need something you already have. He's there. He, she, it. I'm just saying that because of how the Christian faith was. But the fact is, it's like, it's non-gender. Spirit is non-gender. Okay, people? It's what we need in order to understand it. Then we reference it as a he or she, you know. Regardless of what you believe in the Bible, I hope that you truly understand that God is love. Love is free will and that you have the free will to choose what is right and what is wrong with you and to know that you are always holy and you are always worthy and you are always deserving. That's not something that has to be earned. It already exists in you. You are a light being. You are an infinite cosmic being. God's energy that's in you is what causes you to be here, to live this life and to have this purpose and to have this experience. All right, guys, you matter. Take care. I'm sending you a lot of love. Thank you for staying with me to the end of the podcast. My intention is for you to receive valuable content that leads you to create the life you desire. I certainly love sharing my gifts with you. Could I please ask? 
that you share this podcast with your friends and loved ones if you found value in it. Also, it would be so helpful if you could leave a five-star review on Apple. I would greatly appreciate it. If you would like to be interviewed on this podcast, if you have a topic that you would like me to cover, or if you would like to work one-on-one with me, then DM me on my socials. Everything you need to find me is in the show notes. Make it a great day.